Good afternoon, Tri-States. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. This is Ken in my regular Friday reader seat, reading from the Friday, February 3rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. Remember, this is brought to you in part by Dupaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. We begin with our first piece from above the fold on page one. Local mental health survey shows accessibility gap. A new report from Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque prioritizes increasing provider capacity and reaching marginalized populations as ways to address needs for local mental health services. The foundation this week released its Mental Health Community Needs Assessment, which outlines priorities to help community members access mental health services in Dubuque. Our providers are doing such great work, but it's a community approach to address mental health needs, said Peter Supple, the Foundation's Director of Nonprofit Relations. Not one individual, organization, or provider can take on brain health by itself. It's a community approach, and we've certainly seen that since the pandemic. Supple said the new assessment follows a 2016 community needs assessment that identified mental health as a topic to address in the community. Since the initial report, the foundation has collaborated with providers to expand and start new programs, including at local schools and with local law enforcement, Supple said. Research for the new assessment which included focus groups and interviews with those who have experience in mental health services, was conducted between November 2021 and March 2022. A community survey also received 351 responses. From that research, the assessment outlines several priorities to address in the community when it comes to mental health as well as recommendations to address those challenges. Supple said one priority that arose is addressing mental health needs in children and young adults. Brain health is certainly on the rise, and we feel COVID-19 had a lot to do with that, he said. It was something that was highlighted and something that was accelerated because of COVID. If they don't get help, The need only gets worse when they get out of college, so we need to continue to support schools and after-school programs. Another issue outlined in the report is addressing providers' lack of capacity to take new patients. It's not new, but it needs to be highlighted that provider capacity is limited, Supple said. We heard some people say that wait times to access providers was up to many weeks or even months, and that is certainly an issue. Michael Porosky, department chair for psychiatry at Medical Associates, said Dubuque faces the challenge of recruiting both therapists and people who can prescribe medications to address mental health concerns similar to other smaller cities across the country. One big barrier in Dubuque that I see as a trend is, which providers take, insurance, and who takes what insurance, he said. I think the gap is ever-growing in town of how many patients someone is able to take to prescribe medication. 
That, I think, is where a lot of the wait lists come in. Waiting a long time for care sometimes can lead to mental health issues becoming more severe and possibly lead to a stay in the hospital, Porosky said. It's hard enough for people to reach out and say they need help, he said. It can be really disheartening to reach out and the answer you get is, see you in six to eight weeks. Supple said finding funding to give providers additional capacity and staffing is an area of focus identified in the assessment. We also need our providers to work together, he said. There's something powerful in bringing people together to talk about what they're working on. Another priority noted in the report is increasing efforts to reach to diverse communities, especially those who do not speak English as their first language. John Decker, Director of Brain Health at Crescent Community Health Center, said having a more diverse pool of providers, including ones who can fluently speak other languages, would help clients feel more comfortable. I've been providing counseling and therapy for 17 years, and I know very few, if any, people that specialize in therapy or psychiatry that are able to provide a wide range of services in a person's language other than English, he said. For those who speak Spanish, Marshallese, or other languages, there is definitely a breakdown there. Decker said Crescent has a staff member who can prescribe mental health medications and speaks Spanish, and the facility brings in a Marshallese translator when needed. One of the difficult things with having a translator, especially in therapy, is some of the trauma you're talking through can be pretty intense for the translator, so you are not only working with the patient, but the translator, to make sure they are fully supported, he said. Christine Corkin, a Community Foundation board member who previously worked with the foundation as a consultant on mental health, said addressing needs with equity in mind is essential when thinking about further solutions. There is no question that the people that have money, that have good insurance, or don't need insurance, will get priority treatment simply because they can afford it, she said. We need to make decisions moving forward through an equity lens to move us forward in a much more community-based way. Corkin said helping people navigate the mental health system, which was another recommendation in the assessment, also is important. We need a navigating system so that literally you can make a phone call or find an app online and type in an issue and say, what do I do and who can help me now, she said. For a boots-on-the-ground approach, that is something we need to be looking at. Our next piece from the front page, Certificate Programs Becoming More Popular at Iowa Community Colleges. And we have included with this a large picture. We see the shadow of a man with his arm outstretched on a lit-up screen. And the caption beneath it reads, Alex Gert instructs a class in Adobe Illustrator at Northeast Iowa Community College in Piasta, Iowa. And we also have another inset picture of a young lady looking at her computer at a desk. 
And that one reads, Teresa Turnus works on a lesson during the Adobe Illustrator class. Our article reads, Teresa Turnus sat in a classroom at Northeast Iowa Community College in Piasta on Thursday, watching as instructor Alex Gert showed the students how to draw an octopus using Adobe Illustrator. You can either make a half circle or you can merge a circle with a rectangle, Gert said, as the pink creature took shape on his screen. You can draw all the tentacles if you want, or you can do one and just duplicate and scale it. The course is one of six that Turnus, 48, will take to earn a digital graphics certificate from NICC, which she plans to complete by the end of summer. Certificate programs are appealing to non-traditional students who maybe have already earned a degree and want to learn some more skills, said Turnus, who lives in Manchester and works as a real estate broker. According to the Iowa Department of Education's recently published Condition of Community Colleges report, certificates comprised the largest percent of credit awards at Iowa's 15 community colleges during the 2021-22 academic year at 26.7%. This marked the first time in the history of the community college's management information system that certificates took the top spot. Associate of Applied Science degrees weren't far behind, though, comprising 25.9% of credit awards, while Associate of Arts degrees made up 24.6% of awards. Wendy Knight, NICC Vice President of Institutional Effectiveness and Advancement, said certificates often are attractive to students due to the brevity of the programs, which can allow them to enter the workforce faster. Certificates seek to help students renew or enhance their skills in a particular field, whether in their current job or to better market themselves to employers. Because employers are looking for specific skill sets, the graduate from high school is looking at, how can I maximize my dollar and gain a skill set that I need to be employable, she said. Knight said the number of certificates providing college credit that NICC awards has remained relatively steady in recent years, though the college's non-credit short-term career pathway certificates are becoming more popular. In the 2021-22 academic year, NICC awarded a total of eight credit certificates out of 590 total credentials awarded. The college offers nine certificate programs for credit, including animal science, sports administration, agricultural business, and data analytics. During the same year, the college awarded 427 career pathway certificates, which are available in topics such as advanced manufacturing, construction, business, and hospitality and education. Turnus was among the first students to enroll in NICC's Digital Graphics Certificate, a credit-based program that launched in fall 2022. Carly Heathcote, Graphics Program Lead, said the certificate is an example of a micro-credential, a concept she said has become popular in the last 10 years in higher education. 
It really boosts the students' skills, no matter what area they're working in. And the expediency works well for the working professional, she said. Turnus said the digital graphics program's flexibility lets her continue working while studying, and she is grateful that the classes she will take for the certificate also would count toward a two-year graphic design program, should she choose to enroll in that later. It was important to me to learn the graphic design element so I can set myself apart in my business materials and really add value to my business. And it's a way to get started if I want to do the full degree later, she said. I can get my feet wet and learn the things I'm most excited about. Federal COVID-19 relief dollars, private funders, and the Opportunity Dubuque program through Greater Dubuque Development Corporation also have allowed the college to offer some of its non-credit certificates tuition-free to students in recent years, which Knight said has contributed to their popularity. Katie Glass, Public Information Officer for Southwest Wisconsin Technical College in Fenimore, Wisconsin, said her institution has not seen an increase in students seeking only a certificate, in part because the college strongly emphasizes its two-year programs. Our mission is to improve lives, and the best way we can do that is getting students through a technical diploma or a two-year associate degree, she said. That offers the best opportunity for improvement. The college does offer a variety of certificates that often are embedded within longer programs, however. For example, students in Southwest Tech's two-year accounting program automatically receive certificates in payroll assistance and tax preparation assistance once they have completed certain courses as part of the overall program. Although we have a very high retention percentage for our students, if they were to drop out of a program, this way they're not left with nothing, Glass said. They have those certificates which are industry recognized. Other certificates are included in the college's adult basic education programs or offered as part of programs such as nonprofit leadership, where students can take three courses to earn a certificate in fundraising, marketing, or strategic planning. Our final front page piece, Dubuque Police Making Use of Drone Technology. Over the past several years, drone technology has given Dubuque Police a different view to help them on the job. The Dubuque Police Department's drone team began in 2016 with three licensed drone pilots. That team since has expanded to six pilots, and members of the team have seen use of the drone increase over the years, including for tracking suspects. When we need an aerial view of something, we can't afford a helicopter and a pilot, but we do have this little drone that we can throw in the air and have at it, said Officer Brandon Gudenkoff, who is part of the drone team. The police department currently has one drone, a small Mavic 2, that can fly up to 400 feet high. The drone replaced an initial one that was several feet long and wide, which Gudenkoff said could be difficult to use when trying to track suspects. Gudenkoff said the drone is used for about 10 to 15 missions per year, 
though patrol officers are asking for the drone to be brought out with them more and more. With any new tech, as you use it more, it's requested more, he said. Corporal Travis Kramer, who was one of the department's initial pilots when the drone team started, said the team began with the idea that drones could be used to help with vehicle crash reconstruction, providing overall views of the scene. The Federal Aviation Administration requires that anyone who wants to pilot a drone must be certified. Gudenkoff said drone pilots added to the team must submit a letter of interest in becoming a pilot and pass the licensing exam. Certification to fly the drones must be renewed every two years, and the police department's drone team trains with the device monthly. Kramer said that in addition to being used in crash reconstruction, the drones can be used to help photograph the scene for major cases. For example, the drone was used to take photographs of the scene of the fatal shooting of Tawan M. Jackson in the 1900 block of Central Avenue on June 4th, as well as when Jennifer Lopez was found dead at the Dubuque Arboretum and Botanical Gardens on February 1st, 2021. The drone gives a good angle for various photos. It can show footprints, Kramer said. It can show the jury the whole scene. An aerial view is good for that. Gutenkopf said the drone is also a good tool for search and rescue, as well as tracking fleeing suspects. The police department's drone includes a FLIR, F-L-I-R, camera that can detect body heat. Police used a drone following a high-speed chase last week, and officers as office after officers found the vehicle involved in the chase illegally parked with the driver no longer inside, they used a drone to track two suspects running through the woods, court documents state. Kramer said the FLIR camera also is used to help the Dubuque Fire Department. While the Fire Department has its own drone, all of its pilots might be needed to to during a fire to help battle the flames, so police department personnel can help look for hot spots using the drone. The police department's drone also has been used by the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department and other City of Dubuque departments. For example, drone pilots have taken photos of condemned properties on behalf of the city's housing department, Kramer said. The drone also played a role during both Major League Baseball games at the Field of Dreams. For some of those people coming from out of town, it can be really easy to get lost in a cornfield, Kramer said. So if they wandered off into the corn, we could use the drone to find them. A speaker also can be attached to the drone from which its pilot can give commands. There was a hot air balloon at the Field of Dreams during the 2021 MLB game, Gudenkopf said, that wasn't supposed to happen. So we had the drone up there and were giving commands from the drone to leave the air. And if we have someone lost, we can help them. We're able to angle the speaker straight down to talk to them. Looking ahead... Kramer and Gudenkoff said they would like to see more people in the department become drone pilots so that someone on every shift would be available to use the device if needed. Kramer said the department also is working on live streaming the drone's feed straight to, person, to the personnel in the department. 
If we set a perimeter, we can set the FLIR camera up high and see all of the officers making up the perimeter and can direct them from there, Gudenkoff said. It takes a lot of danger out of stuff. And before we turn to our more local news, I note that we have the TH honored for excellence. It's up in the box in the corner of the paper. The Telegraph Herald on Thursday night garnered a first-place award for general excellence among the state's largest newspapers. The TH and the Cedar Rapids Gazette tied for first place in the Iowa Newspaper Association's Better Newspaper Contest for 2022 for newspapers with a circulation greater than 5,000. The awards honor media outlets across the state for accomplishments over the previous year. It marked the second consecutive year the TH earned first place honors in the category. And we congratulate our hometown paper for that. Now we continue with news from Dubuque and the Tri-States. And at the top of the fold, we have Housing Advocate Leads Discussion About Aiding Homeless in Dubuque. And we have a large inset picture of a woman talking to a group in front of her. And the caption for that reads, Diane Nyland, founder and president of Hear Us Foundation, on Thursday speaks at the local United Way in Dubuque with members of the community about homelessness. Our article reads, A Thursday discussion with an advocate on a cross-country trek served as a forum for Dubuque area service providers to discuss how to better serve area homeless residents. Diane Nylan, founder and president of HEAR, that's H-E-A-R, HEAR Us Foundation, has traveled across the U.S. in a camper van for the past 18 years, chronicling the lives of homeless Americans and advocating on their behalf. She stopped at United Way of Dubuque Area Tri-States in Dubuque on Thursday for lunch with local homeless residents and then for a discussion with representatives from agencies who serve them, including Dubuque Rescue Mission, Hillcrest Family Services, and Almost Home. The discussion highlighted growing pressures on homeless service providers, particularly in light of growing mental health and substance use issues since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Providers said they wanted to get ahead of these issues, but were struggling to do so in light of the breadth of the issue. It's no longer prevention. It's intervention, said Jim Munson, homeless outreach coordinator at Hillcrest. It's like a mass trauma unit. We just try to stop the bleeding. Addressing that trauma, a word used by Nylon that providers returned to throughout the afternoon, extended to providers themselves. Nylon, who ran homeless shelters in Aurora and Joliet, Illinois, for a total of 16 years, said the stress of handling an increase in mental health and substance use issues among homeless residents also is affecting the people who care for them, a trend seen across the country. If you're feeling worn out, almost burned out, it's not because you can't hack it, Nyland said. 
Providers said that while the supply of emergency shelter currently is sufficient, if lar- it's largely booked up, local agencies have struggled to place homeless residents in long-term housing and provide them with the services to keep them housed. Lemaitre Murdoch, who coordinates the City of Dubuque's Family Self-Sufficiency Program, related how she had spent time building relationships and trust with chronically homeless Chicago residents and taught them basic necessities to keep them in long-term housing. Dubuque needs some of that, she said. What kind of support are they going to have to remain housed? Participants also offered up solutions for what they see as a lack of affordable and quality housing options. Ed Raber, Dubuque County Project Manager, pointed to a lack of nonprofits owning rental properties, which could control rents and serve as a floor for housing quality. Nicole Fenz, Crisis Services Director for Friends of the Family, said more stringent enforcement of city housing codes was needed. Nylon, for her part, was impressed by the discussion. Everyone seemed to go, yeah, we have a problem in Dubuque that we could be solving, she said afterward. We're overwhelmed and stressed, and everything but things aren't going to get better until we do something. Now we turn to our opinion page and today's Our View Quick Takes, the editorials who represent the editorial viewpoints of our editorial board. And today we have two smiley faces and a scrunchie. We'll start with a smiley face. Lawmakers find common ground on traffic bills. While often the headlines coming out of the State House in Des Moines are measures split by a partisan divide, it's great to see progress on bills that have some local lawmakers working together to keep Iowans safe. Eastern Iowa lawmakers have sponsored legislation that could address behaviors that lead to deadly crashes, such as those that have happened in their own districts. One bill aims to stop teen drivers from driving at dangerously high speeds and is being filed in response to a Dubuque crash that killed three teenagers last year. Other bills would expand bans on using electronic devices without hands-free modules while driving. Iowa Senator Pam Yoakum, Democrat Dubuque, has worked with representatives of the insurance industry to draft a bill aimed to reduce teen driving speeds. The measure would incentivize auto insurance providers to not charge the higher premiums for teen drivers if the policyholders install a speed governor in the teen's insured vehicle. Yoakum also filed a bill to expand bans on drivers using electronic devices not in a voice-activated, hands-free mode. Three area Republican lawmakers, Iowa Senators Kerry Colker of Dyersville, Chris Cornoyer of LeClaire, and Michael Klimish of Spillville, also co-sponsored a nearly identical bill. It's encouraging to see legislators on both sides of the aisle working on life-saving measures meaningful to local residents. Our second piece is also a smiley face. 
It never hurts to have a friend who is connected in Washington, D.C., and Dubuque's connection just got stronger with Terry Hawks Goodman's appointment as chair of a federal commission. President Joe Biden named the city of Dubuque's director of strategic partnerships as chair of National Capital Planning Commission, which seeks to advance development of federal land and buildings in the nation's capital. Goodman was sworn in recently to begin a six-year term as the at-large presidential appointee on the commission, which oversees federally owned buildings and land in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding National Capital Region, along with guiding the overall planning of the development of the capital. Goodman said she will focus on maintaining the properties of the federal government and making them more resilient to climate and more equitable. With her decades of experience and breadth of knowledge on issues ranging from Mississippi River advocacy to historic preservation to strategic planning and local government, Goodman will serve the nation well in this role. Congratulations to Terry Hawks Goodman for this exciting opportunity to serve on a federal commission. No doubt she will continue to make Dubuque proud. And our third quick take, a scrunchy face. When a consultant hired by the city of Dubuque unveiled the results of an extensive study on downtown parking, it's likely few Dubuque residents were surprised In a nutshell, Walker Consultants said the city's downtown parking infrastructure is underused, outdated, and financially unsustainable. Imagine that. The findings bolster the positions of many local residents who pushed back when city officials committed to building yet another parking ramp as part of a development ideal with two local businesses, a commitment that since has been rolled back. The consultants described parking in downtown Dubuque overall as a patchwork system, requiring regular maintenance and with inconsistent signage and time limits, creating unnecessary confusion for people attempting to park. All true. Here's the good news. The analysis will be used to develop a smart parking and mobility master plan, which, when completed, will outline how the city can invest in new technology in its parking infrastructure and improve overall accessibility for walking, biking, and public transit. While we hope this investment in technology isn't exorbitant, we're happy to see the city considering an approach that involves better utilizing existing parking structures and lots rather than creating more. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. This is Ken reading from the Friday, February 3rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. Brought to you in part by DuPaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. We now turn to today's obituaries. Nancy K. Steffen. Nancy K. Steffen of Dubuque, Iowa, passed away peacefully on Wednesday, February 1st at the age of 65. 
Visitation will be from 9 until 10.45 a.m. on Saturday, February 4th at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, followed by the funeral service at 11. Deacon Jim Thill officiating. Burial will be at St. Thomas Catholic Cemetery, Potosi, Wisconsin, at a later date. Nancy was born December 11, 1957, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of Lenice Flesch and the late John Flesch. She graduated from Hempstead High School in 1976. She earned her degree at the University of Northern Iowa in 1981. She worked at Swiss Valley Farms and Flexsteel. Nancy was an avid Snoopy collector. She enjoyed spending time at the pool and shopping. She loved spending time with family, friends, and her beloved dog, Cody. In lieu of flowers, a memorial has been established. Nancy M. Gourley. Nancy M. Gourley, 91, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, February 1st. Visitation will be held from 3 to 7 p.m. Sunday, February 5th, at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory. 3860 Asbury Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 6th at the Church of the Nativity. Burial will be at a later date in Mount Calvary Cemetery. Maureen M. Recker, Epworth. Maureen M. Recker, 87, of Epworth, died Tuesday, January 31st. Visitation will be held from 2 to 8 p.m. Sunday, February 5th, at Rife Funeral Home in Epworth. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 6th, at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Epworth. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Carol A. Walsh, Fillmore, Iowa. Carol A. Walsh, 83, of Fillmore, died Tuesday, January 31st. Visitation will be held from 3 to 7 p.m. Monday, February 6th, at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 1.30 p.m. Tuesday, February 7th, at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Fillmore. Ada R. Vesley, Savannah. Ada R. Vesley, 94, of Savannah, died on Tuesday, January 31st. Services will be held at a later date. Law Jones Funeral Home of Savannah is assisting the family. And that is today's obituaries, and we do have a new arrival. With sadness, we often hope that we have joy. And we have one to report on today. Wednesday, February 1st, Ramler, Mitchell and Brianna Ramler of Epworth, Iowa, a boy at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. Welcome aboard, little one. We'll continue now with a little bit more of our Dubuque and Tri-State news. And our next piece, some proposed conservation projects draw scrutiny from Dubuque County Supervisors. The Dubuque County Board of Supervisors on Thursday expressed concerns with some high-dollar proposed conservation department projects in a budget hearing, reiterating caution about spending in a tight budget year. 
The department's improvement requests, proposals above and beyond regular operations, totaled $1.9 million for the fiscal year that begins July 1. Of that, $950,000 proposed for new shower houses at Swiss Valley Park and the Heritage Pond Campground provoked the most debate. The Conservation Department manages 2,800 acres, 21 areas, eight campgrounds, 50 miles of trails, a golf course, and two nature centers, among other things. The department is estimated to generate $2.22 million in economic impact to the county per year. Dubuque County Conservation Executive Director Brian Preston said camping activity had skyrocketed recently, bringing in $140,000 in the past year. Conservation Board Member Jacqueline Kerr said a survey of hundreds of campers saw many requests for shower house improvements. However, Preston said replacing the current shower house at Swiss Valley, which is 23 years old, would cost $448,000. Our old wiring feeds through the shower to get to the campsites, he said, which means the work would require rerouting the electrical system. But because of how popular Swiss Valley's campground is and how much people want this, without a new shower house, we're going to limit our revenue. Supervisor Wayne Kenneker questioned the price tag, having found less expensive designs, but also the project generally, especially considering the impacts of inflation. I support a reasonable increase in wages and salaries to be able to recruit and retain good quality employees, he said. People have gotten pushed to the point that we need to take care of what we have. I would have a hard time supporting more than $500,000 of capital improvements. Supervisor Harley Potoff also resisted the estimated cost for the Swiss Valley Shower House. There is a lot of support for conservation, but it's a tough year, he said. Supervisor Ann McDonough pointed to the 59% of voters who supported a 2021 referendum for conservation initiatives. Though the measure ultimately fell short of the 60% needed to pass, as evidence of support for significant investment in conservation projects. Those people want to see improvements, she said, and it does go to workforce recruitment. It will just come down to finding a balance. McDonough asked if more funding for conservation projects could come from the department's fees. The Conservation Board previously approved increasing the fee on most campsites by $3 per night next fiscal year. The department estimated $80,000 more in revenues for the next fiscal year, mostly related to the fee increases. Still, Conservation Board member George Davis said no amount of fee increases would make county parks break even directly. There are many public amenities that are never going to pay for themselves, he said. If that is the criteria, maybe we should look at selling Heritage Pond to some private company and see if they will make a profit. Still, supervisors generally supported the many smaller improvement requests made by the department. They also voiced no opposition to the department's request for $250,000 for its land acquisition fund. And our next little piece we have... Authorities 
Two arrested after two pounds of marijuana discovered during Delaware County traffic stop. Coming out of Delhi. Authorities said two people were arrested last week after law enforcement discovered two pounds of marijuana in their car during a traffic stop in Delaware County. Aubrey J. Thompson Jr., 40, of Manchester, and Brandon M. Martin, 26, of Cedar Rapids, both were arrested at 7.58 p.m. January 25th near Delhi, according to court documents. Thompson was arrested on charges of possession of marijuana and failure to affix a drug stamp. Martin was arrested on charges of possession of marijuana and possession of drug paraphernalia. Documents state that a deputy pulled over a vehicle Thompson was driving for a traffic violation. Martin was a passenger in the vehicle. This deputy detected the strong odor of marijuana when making contact with the occupants of the vehicle, according to documents. A search of the vehicle revealed two large bags containing approximately one pound each of marijuana, documents state. And we have a little bit of this next one, and it's an election preview from Grant County, Wisconsin. Three candidates vie to replace Vandehey on the bench. This comes from Lancaster. Grant County voters this month will narrow the field of candidates running for a local circuit court judge seat. Reserve Judge Jennifer Day and attorneys Lisa Rineker and Jeffrey Erickson will appear on the February 21 primary ballot with the top two vote-getters facing off in the April election. They are running to replace Circuit Court Judge Robert Vandehey, who announced late last year that he will not seek another term. The person who is elected will be one of two Circuit Court judges in Grant County. The Telegraph Herald spoke with the candidates this week about why they are running and their priorities if elected. Jennifer Day of Burton served as a Jefferson County Circuit Court judge from 2009 to 2018 and since has served as a reserve judge in Grant County and neighboring counties as the need arises. Before that, she worked in private practice for 14 years. Day retired from her Jefferson County role after getting married and moving to Grant County. When Van de Hay decided to step down, Day saw it as an opportunity to get back on the bench. She is married to Grant County Circuit Court Judge Craig Day, though she said she did not anticipate the relationship would cause any conflicts of interest. She said her track record as a former Circuit Court Judge would inform and improve her performance if elected and allow her to start the job with little need for adjustment time. If elected, her focus would be on continuing the efficiency and success of the circuit court. She also expressed special interest in maintaining judicial independence in an increasingly political climate. Jeffrey Erickson of Rural Platteville works as attorney manager for the State Public Defender's Office in Lancaster. Before assuming that role in 2015, he worked in private practice for about 15 years. He said he was motivated to run for the judge position because he saw it as a meaningful way to give back to the community. He has spent the majority of his tenure in criminal defense, which he said taught him the listening and critical thinking skills needed for the circuit court position. 
If elected, he said he would like to see continued expansion and success of the local OWI and drug treatment courts, as well as potential expansion into other treatment courts, such as those aimed at rehabilitating veterans with convictions. Lisa Rineker of L. Ellenboro has worked as the Grant County District Attorney since 2005. Before that, she spent time at private practices working with a variety of civil and criminal clients. After observing the judicial process in that role, she said the circuit court seat seemed like a position she would enjoy and excel at. She said her time as prosecutor would offer a fresh perspective to the judge position, as both current office holders have a background in defense. She also said her current role has allowed her to create a strong, beneficial relationship with local law enforcement. I know how good law enforcement is in Grant County, she said. I know they're going to be providing credible, truthful testimony, and I would be second-guessing them. However, law enforcement isn't going to get everything right all of the time, because no one is perfect all of the time. So I'll still be looking at all testimony with a fair eye. Now we have our news in brief. Local man accused of repeatedly firing gun into air faces federal weapons charges. A Dubuque man accused of repeatedly firing a gun into the air now faces a federal weapons charge. Ivan J. Berry, 38, was charged in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Iowa with possession of a firearm by a felon. The federal indictment was filed January 25th. As a result of the federal indictment, state-level charges of possession of a firearm by a felon and reckless use of a firearm were dismissed. State court documents state that police were notified October 26th that a man later identified as Barry was outside of his residence and had fired four or five gunshots into the air. After further investigation, police were granted an exec- an ex- and ex- executed excuse me, a search warrant at Barry's residence on October 27th. They found a pistol concealed below a panel under the kitchen sink, documents state. State court documents state that Barry is not allowed to possess firearms after being convicted in March 2021 in Dubuque County of charges that included possession of contraband in a correctional institution, a felony. Federal court documents state that Barry also was convicted in February 2022 in Blackhawk County of possession of contraband in a correctional facility, a felony. Two Maquoketa lottery winners identified. Iowa lottery officials have identified the winners of a more than $30,000 prize. Casey McLaughlin and Paul P.J. Tobin, both of Maquoketa, were the purchasers of a lottery ticket sold January 22nd in Maquoketa that landed a prize of $30,934, according to an online announcement. The pair purchased the Jackpot Party Progressive Instaplay ticket at Timber Lanes Bowling in Maquoketa. Jackpot Party costs $10 to play, and the chances of winning the jackpot, 1 in 40,000. WD schools delay classes this morning. Classes in Western Dubuque Community School District have been delayed by two hours for today because of anticipated adverse weather conditions. 
District officials on Thursday evening announced the decision to delay today's classes, citing predicted cold temperatures and potential slick conditions in an online announcement. Students in Dubuque Community Schools and Holy Family Catholic Schools already were scheduled to have no classes today because of a planned staff professional learning day. Loras Engineering Program receives grant. Loras College has received a $155,000 grant to help support the institution's growing engineering program. The grant from the Roy J. Carver Charitable Trust will enhance the instructional space and resources for the engineering program, according to a press release. Particular areas that will see upgrades include thermodynamics, electronics, innovation, and fluid mechanics labs, as well as the metal and wood shops. The funding also will support enrollment efforts to for engineering majors, according to the release. The college's engineering program has experienced a 50,000 or 50% increase in first-year enrollment over the past five years, and that growth is expected to continue at a similar pace for at least three more years. Top 10. TH's most read stories of January. A story about new laws going into effect at the start of 2023 was the most read article of the TH website in January. The 10 most read stories on telegraphherald.com for the month. 1. A look at new laws starting January 1 in Iowa and Illinois. 2. UD suspends Greek organizations. 3. Farley family reflects shares memories of son lost in farming accident. 4. Iowa DOT to tweak speed limit on stretch of US-20 near Dubuque. 5. Authorities man fatally shoots self during traffic stop. 6. Plans unveiled for $75 million renovation of Q Casino. 7. With industry booming, Southwest Wisconsin Pinball Company to double building space. 8. Dubuque teen sentenced for 31 years for burglaries. 9. BizBuzz Dubuque Coffee Shop plans second site. ED bar closes. Garnavillo Child Care Center expands. 10. Jackson County Man wins $100,000 lottery prize. Now we turn to our weekend buzz. The noteworthy things to do this weekend in our tri-state area. It's a cold one out there. It was minus four when I took my puppy dog out about six. I don't know if it's going to get a whole lot warmer today, but let's see what we got going on indoors. Art at your library exhibit opening reception. Today, second floor rotunda, Carnegie Stout Public Library, 360 West 11th, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. The exhibit will feature works by Lindahl Anthony, Catherine Baston, A. Alanda Gregory, and Joan or Joanne Overhouse. There will be live music and refreshments will be available. Admission is free. More information, 563-589-4313. John Mueller's Winter Dance Party. Saturday, Mississippi Moon Bar, Diamond Joe Casino, 301 Bell Street. 3 and 7 p.m. The recreation, or recreation rather, of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Boppers final tour. Must be 21 to attend. Admission is $15 plus taxes and fees. Tickets are available at 
Moon Barracks, B-A-R-R-O-C-K-S, moonbarracks.com forward slash events, information 563-690-4750. IPOP, Saturday, Q Casino Showroom, 1855 Greyhound Park Road, 8 p.m. The Midwest Party Band performs pop, rock, hip-hop, country, 1980s, 1990s, and current hits. Must be 21 plus to attend. Standing room only. Admission free. More information, 563-582-3647. Debut Symphony Orchestra Classics 3. Birds fly, we dance. Saturday and Sunday, Five Flags Theater. 7.30 p.m. Saturday, 2 p.m. Sunday, the DSO's third concert of the season will feature music that celebrates Latin American culture. Admission $20 to $89. Tickets at Ticketmaster.com and at the Five Flags box office. For more information, DubuqueSymphony.org. Super Bowl Sunday 2023. Sunday Convivium Urban Farmstead 2811 Jackson Street. 3 and 5 p.m. Convivium Urban Farmstead joins Riverbend Food Bank for a fundraiser to raise awareness about area poverty and food insecurity. This year there will be two seating times, 3 to 4.30 and 5 to 6.30. Attendees will choose a ceramic bowl created by local artists, then fill it with soups from local restaurants. Admission, $35 per person. Tickets available by calling, well, actually, is it no, bit.ly forward slash 3WSPP6I. I know those are tough. I think I would just call the number 563-557-2900. You have been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. This has been Ken in his regular Friday reader seat reading from the Friday, February 3rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. I want to pause here for a moment to say I won't be reading next Friday. We are moving out of Dubuque. After 50 plus years here, Christine and I are moving south in the Lake Ozark area to be nearer our daughter. It's the time has come for that. But I want to say this, the TH has been outrageously kind to me and they have offered me the online opportunity to continue reading the Friday TH and that is my intent at this point. I'll continue reading the news, but from a slightly warmer, not completely warmer, not that far into Missouri, slightly warmer area of the Midwest. So the next time you'll hear from me, I'll be broadcasting from Lake Ozark, Missouri. Our time in Dubuque has been wonderful. I've had a wonderful career here. We both have, but it's just time. But I've taken my reading voice and putting it back on the air. I hope it's been enjoyed by a lot of you. So that brings us to the end then of our Friday, February 3rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald reading. I thank you all, whoever you may be out there for listening so far. 
and you'll hear from me again in two weeks. Until then, be safe out there. It's a cold one today. Wrap up nice. And I'll hear you again, you'll hear me again on the air in two weeks. So long until then. Bye-bye.